You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I grew up in church. Uh, I, I did. I, I was born, I think, in church. Uh, and, and, you know, so I went, grew up, and I grew up in First Baptist churches as well. That's my life story. Uh, when I was born, uh, I went to First Baptist Church, Bembrook. Texas. Uh, nobody cares about that is what I've been told, but that's true nonetheless. Uh, and then we moved to McKinney, Texas. So I went to First Baptist Church in McKinney, Texas. And then we moved to uh, Fort Bend County and I went to First Baptist Church Sugarland, Texas. And then uh, I got married and uh, then I went into ministry and I've served at a variety of different churches. Uh, and this is my second First Baptist Church to serve at uh, in that case. So I, I truly am a very Baptist and also very uh, very, very entrenched inside of Christian life. From the day that I was born, uh, 39 years later still, uh, you know, this, this last couple months notwithstanding, I'm pretty regular in my church attendance the entire time of my life. I, I find myself consistently in church underneath teaching. But, you know, there's something about the depths of what uh, God has done that didn't resonate with me uh, for some reason until I went to seminary. Um, and I, and I, don't, I don't mean that to say, like, oh, seminary gives you this special knowledge that's going to pull back the veil. Um, but there's, you know, sometimes you hear something, and it, and it may be the 90th time you've heard it, but when it's said to, said to you, it, it just kind of like, oh, hey. You know, and it wasn't new. It wasn't, it wasn't something brand new. It wasn't a new kind of foreign teaching. But it added a depth to what Christ did uh, that, that really brought, a, 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 I don't know, like a, a deeper, like, wow sense of awe in what Jesus had accomplished and dying on the cross for my sins and rising again, right? It, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. And today I want to talk about some of that today. Um, and, and the way that it got introduced to me was in my church history class, which is obviously very exciting, as you would imagine church history um, to be. I actually love church history. It's one of my favorite subjects. Um, if I had wanted to, I could have taken like one more class in seminary and got some sort of a I don't know, minor or I don't even know what they give you, some sort of certificate in church history. Because I've taken a lot of church history classes. A lot of it was because my favorite professor was a church history professor. That matters, by the way, who teaches you what, what you learn and what you like to learn. Um, but in my first class with this teacher, uh, now Dr. Miles Mullen, he was still Professor Mullen at the time, but, but I went to uh, Dr. Mullen's class and uh, he gave us our reading list, and there was a bunch of things that I didn't want to read in there. And one of the things that I didn't want to read was a, a book by a guy named Athanasius uh, called On the Incarnation. Um, and Athanasius was alive back in Egypt, back in like the 300s. Uh, that's a long time ago, if you're unaware of that. Um, and he was an early church father, and we were studying early church history, and so we had to read some of his stuff, and, and, and on the incarnations, you know, I'd say it's a short book, but it's like, you know, 100 pages, and it's, it's dense, like you would imagine a book on the incarnation. And the question that Athanasius asks and deals with, the question that he struggles with through that book, the question that really resonated with me in that part of my life was, why did Jesus have to become man? All right, and this is one of the things we know about Jesus, right? He's fully God, he's fully man, we affirm that. Uh, we, we believe that. I've always believed that. But the question was, why? why? Why that way? Wasn't there another way? Wasn't there an easier way than taking on flesh and dwelling among us? Wasn't there a better way 
to bring about the ends. And ultimately, what Athanasius decided was that was the only way that Jesus could do what he intended to accomplish. And a lot of what he, where he got that from was what we're going to be studying today in Hebrews chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open up to Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to talk a lot about the work of Jesus. right? And as Christians, that should be a big deal for us, the work that Jesus did, what he did, why he did, and what it accomplishes, and what it means for us going forward is all very important things. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews is near the end of your Bible. Uh, I don't know, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, um, but otherwise you can probably locate it not too far from there. Just flip a few pages forward, you'll stumble into the 13 chapters of Hebrews, and go to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to start reading in verse 1. I figure that's the best place to start. Here we go. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he begins, uh, the author of Hebrews, who's unknown at this time. By the way, this is uh, free right here. Most of what I do is free up here, to be honest with you. But uh, this is uh, unintended. I was, I was just on Facebook this week. And the church I came from, uh, Kingwood Bible Church, just started a series on Hebrews as well last week, which was kind of surreal to me because I do not coordinate uh, with them on what they're preaching. Um, but they did, they did a whole like sermon. I kind of watched just a little bit of it on like who wrote it, and, and the answer is we don't know, and when was it written, and we're like, we're not really sure, uh, and who is it written to, and we're like, well, we're not positive about that either. So you just be glad you didn't get that message, right, of like who wrote it, could have been Paul, we don't know, when was it written, a long time ago, you know, right, probably before 80, 70, but like, eh, a long time ago, and who was it written to, Christians, right, like, so, so be glad you didn't get that message, and you got a, a slightly different version here, but I just found that to be a little funny to me. Uh, okay, so, so what, what the writer of Hebrews uh, uh, begins by saying is, is, like, basically, he says, look, guys, we have this great salvation that was attested to, that was given to us, right, and we need to not neglect that salvation, right? The angels declared it, the prophets have declared it, we read last week about everyone who testified towards it and how we don't need to settle for something less than Jesus and what Jesus did. And he says, look, don't neglect that salvation because if you neglect it, if you were to go up in verse uh, 2, he says, since the message was declared and it was reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What he says there is, look, the message is true, and if you choose to ignore the message, it is at your own peril. It's at your own risk, right? Like you go to a pool and it says swim at your own risk, right? You're like, oh, that sounds okay. I can do that. But imagine the pool now has sharks and it's filled with acid. I don't know how the sharks were living in the acid, okay? This isn't a science class right now. That's the sort of risk that, that he's talking about, though, right? It's not like, oh, this may go poorly for me. It's like it's going to go poorly for you if you ignore this. There will be a just retribution. There will be a righteous justice put on you for choosing to neglect this great salvation because the message is true. And so the question is, what is the message that is true? And the message is the gospel, 
right? And I'm giving you the gospel in 10 words, right? That Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Christ died for your sins. Everything that you've ever said, thought, or done that was unrighteous, that was wrong, that, that you know in your heart was wicked, Christ died for every one of those past, present, hopefully not too many present right now, and future sins that you're going to commit that you promised yourself you're not going to do, but Christ has already forgiven you for. Christ died for your sins, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. We can sing songs like power in the blood because through the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are covered and we would be free from the burden of sin. Why? Because there's power in the blood, right? There, there's something powerful about what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death. And so the beginning of this passage says, hold firm to the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. Don't let go of the gospel. Don't neglect the gospel. Hold it tightly, because if you don't, there are consequences to bear. There is consequences for neglecting the salvation that God has freely given to those who would believe. Continuing on in verse 5, uh, it says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Uh, this, by the way, is a direct quote from the Old Testament. He's not like saying, well, yeah, somewhere this was said. Uh, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything uh, in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. All right, so, so he, he says, look, at the beginning he says, hold fast to the gospel, and now he's going to begin to explain the gospel. The book of Hebrews is a primer on what Christians believe. Right? A lot of it is just like basics of what Christians believe. In fact, in, in chapter 5 or 6, he's like, I've only been dealing with basics so far. Right? And then he goes on from there, so it kind of gets a little harder after chapter 6 maybe. Um, but he's like, this is the basics of what you believe. We gather here for a reason, and it's not because we want something to do before the Texans kick off. Right? I don't know when the Cowboys play, so I have no idea what time they play at. The Cowboys playing today? Huh? 3.05. So, yeah, man, we got plenty of time for all you Cowboy fans out here. We can just go and go and go. I, by the way, I, I don't often talk about how awful the Cowboys are, but, man, how? How? Some of you people out there, I don't understand it, but, but whatever. Okay, so, uh, so he starts off by saying, hold fast to the gospel, and then he goes on to begin to explain what the gospel is. And the beginning of your explanation for the gospel is to understand who Jesus is. That Jesus is this elevated uh, uh, man, this, this, this uh, exemplary man, which everything has made, been put in subjection to his feet, who's crowned with glory and righteousness. And he's like, look, we look right now, and we don't see all of that in subjection. And it's true, look around the world right now, and you see wickedness winning a lot. Right? You see evil winning a lot. And we say, well, well, Christ is overall and everything's subject to Christ. And then we look at the world and we're like, how does that work? Because the world is kind of messy right now. 
And it's kind of an already not yet promise of Scripture, right? That, that, that things have already been put in subjection to Christ, but we haven't fully realized it yet on this side of eternity. There's going to come a day, it's the end of the gospel story, that Christ will come again and everything will be finally, firmly, and eternally put under His feet. But right now we live in that middle period. Right? When, when the promise has been made and it's been partially realized as we see it under Christ. Right, but it's not fully evident to those of us here today. But everything is going to be subject to Him. Everything has been subject to Him. And at some point, everyone will see that. And at that point, as the Bible says, right, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what is coming one day. So Christ is this elevated man, this exemplary man, and everything has been put underneath Him. And then He suffered Death, right? That's the end there in verse 9. It says, We see him made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What a beautiful thing, right? That Jesus tasted death for all. I talk about this at Easter sometimes because it's a wonderful time to talk about what Jesus did. Um, but, but I love the picture of, of Jesus as our champion. Right? And this is it's an image that Jesus has. He's the champion uh, for, for, for life and for God. And he goes out to battle against Satan and Satan's champion, which is death. And, and it's, it's representative warfare. You see this in the Old Testament with uh, David and Goliath. Right? Goliath has a whole army lined up behind him. And David is over there with the Israelite army who's not really eager to fight. And Goliath comes out and he says, look, there's no reason for all of us to fight. You send me someone to fight, and whoever wins the fight between me and him, one-on-one, -on -one, right, will win the war. We don't all have to die. One person's going to die, and whoever wins, they win the war, and the other people are subject to them. And so Goliath would come out day after day after day to do representative warfare against the nation of Israel, and Israel was scared, and ever since someone told David went out there and took to Goliath what Goliath was asking for Jesus did that exact same thing, right? He tasted death for all, and so he goes into the battle fully against Satan's champion, which is death. And by the way, up until the point when Jesus showed up, death was doing quite good, right? Death was winning all of the battles. Still, death has a pretty good record, right? Cemeteries are full. I love going to Galveston Island. Galveston Island is such a weird place because it's old. It's not that big. You have all the beautiful stuff around the beaches. But if you drive like two blocks in off of the beach on Galveston Island, and it's just cemeteries everywhere. Right? It's just cemeteries all across Galveston because they didn't have nowhere else to put the people. Right? Just put them in land and, 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 and hope for that. It is packed. I mean, I don't think you can get another spot on the island to be buried because they're all full. Death wins all the time. The history of mankind is death winning. Go back to the garden, right? And, and Eve is talking to the snake. Bad move. We can all agree, right? Talking to a snake. Bad move. Eve is in the garden. He says, hey, eat this. She says, I'm not supposed to. God says, if I eat it, I'm going to die. The snake says, you're not surely going to die. And Eve says, huh, that's interesting. And she sees that it's good for eating, so she eats it. She gives some to Adam, who's just like an idiot standing beside her. And he eats it as well. And at that moment, death begins his battle against mankind, and victory is won for 
centuries. Every person tasted death, fought against death, and death won. Another person comes up, death wins. Another person comes up, death wins. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he fights death. And for about three days, it looks a little rough. Like death had won Again, the disciples are huddled and scared. They don't know what to do. And then on Easter Sunday, out of nowhere, he is no longer dead. He is risen. He's alive. He conquered death. Guys, that's what Jesus did. That's the beginning point of why he matters, is he's the only one who can fight against death and come out victorious on his own. And because he tasted death and beat the pants off death, you too can conquer death through him. Like we aren't going to conquer it on this side of eternity. Your battle may be lost on this side of eternity, but it's not really lost. Norm MacDonald died this week, and one of the great quotes that's been going around about him is he had cancer for 10 years. Uh, he's a comedian, by the way, if you don't know who he is. But he, was, he had cancer for 10 years. Uh, and he was doing stand-up during this, this process in the middle there, and I'm not going to affirm all of Norman McDonald's stand-up to you, okay? I feel like I'm probably going to get in some hot water if I do that. One of the great things he said was, though, he's talking about cancer, and how, like, people, you know, die with cancer, and then he reads in obituaries, and it's like, oh, so-and-so lost their battle to cancer, and they lost their battle, and he's like, what? How terrible is that? The last thing that we see about people is like, oh, and they're a loser. Like, they put up a good fight, but at the end, Losers, all of them, just losers. They just lose. He's like, that's not how I want to be remembered. He's like, because I could be wrong. It's like, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure when I die, the cancer dies, and I'm pretty sure that's a draw. Right? When I die, it dies, and that's a draw. But the truth is, it's not a draw. Right? Because cause, cause when you die in Christ, and, the, and death dies with you, you live through Jesus. And it's actually victory. It's a beautiful thing, guys. It's a beautiful thing that Christ can taste death and suffering and come out on the other side. And it gives us hope that this thing that we're living in here is just, just, a, just a breath, as the Bible says, just a vapor of reality. There's something bigger on the other side. He, Christ tasted death for all, right? And then we can live because of that, continuing on uh, in verse 10, it says, For it was fitting that he whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell, you, tell, uh, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust and him, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Uh, and so what he says here is, look, not only did Christ, not only should you hold to the gospel, the beginning of the gospel is the fact that Christ can taste death for all, that he can conquer death for all kind. So that we can have it. And the other thing that Christ did was he suffered for all. Right? And one of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that blows my mind is how much suffering Christ did. Or you think about him, like he goes to the, he goes up into like uh, the, 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 the temptation of Christ right after his baptism. And he's brought out to the temptation. He's been fasting for 40 days. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He hasn't drank for 40 days, right? What a, what a terrible state he's got to be in physically. His body is just absolutely 
wore out. And then Satan himself shows up, not some under demon, not someone else. Satan himself shows up and says, let's talk for a minute. Like you're going through physical agony right now. Let me lay out some options for you. And he, and he tempts Jesus over and over again, tempts him with different things, right? You know, you could have all of this or you could do all of that, right? He just tempts him, right? Show your power, right? Show your, show your mind, show your, show, take care of yourself, right? Turn this to, 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 to food, right? He tempts him trying to get Jesus to compromise on the mission that God has put before him and Jesus chose to suffer. Jesus is on the cross. What a terrible way to die, right? If you've read much about that, and there's a lot out there you can read about it, it's not the ideal way to go. Right? We all kind of, I say we all, maybe y'all don't, maybe I'm just dark like that. I think we all have like a list of ways we don't want to go. Like, I don't want to go like that. And the old joke is, right, like, I, when, I, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather, you know, in his sleep, peaceful in his sleep. And not like the three passengers in his car screaming as they go off the mountain. Right? right? Like, 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 like there's ways we want to go and ways we don't want to go. Right? Uh, but, I mean, Jesus, the, the, the path that God laid for him was a path full of suffering. And you might ask yourself, why? Like, could he not have accomplished, like, sacrificial atoning death for sins and lived, like, I don't know, a slightly nicer life? Like, couldn't he have lived in the era of air conditioning? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Right? When people wore deodorant, wouldn't that be nicer? Right? Some people at least wear deodorant, right? Wouldn't that be nicer? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be greater then? But he chose to live in a time when suffering was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And then he chose to walk a path that led to suffering upon suffering upon suffering. And here's the why, right? It allows him to be fully identified with you. Right? He's not some like absentee high priest out there, right? We, uh, I mentioned this, like I began, I began talking about how great seminary was for me. One of the downsides of seminary is you deal with people who aren't preachers, who are professors. And professors who aren't preachers have no practical knowledge of what this is like. They, can, they go to church. I don't say that they don't go to church. But like how to pastor is different than how to professor, I guess. Teach is probably the right word there, by the way. Right? It's a different... It's a different skill set, and so their minds are a kind of ivory tower up here, and they can't fully identify unless they've walked through the trenches, unless they've had someone turn their back on them in the ministry, unless they've experienced strife inside of a church, or whether they've experienced uh, going through generations of funerals and things like that. They don't know. Like, they've read about it, but they don't know it, and so they, they struggle sometimes at, at fully communicating what this job is like. My, my, some of my favorite professors were guys who did this job for 40 years and then went on to go into the seminary for their retirement years. Because they had both. They had an educational background to teach, and they had a practical experience to say, and this is what life is like in the real world. I had a crisis one time. I went to my, my, my friend professor, Dr. Mullen, who I talked about a little while ago. He gave me bad advice because it was practical advice. I was asking more. I go to my dean, who was a pastor for 30 years. He gives me wise advice. He's like, this is what you do because this is the real world that you live in now, right? He gives me practical advice. Miles was smart enough to know. He's like, but don't just listen to me. Go talk to Dr. Autry. He's like, I don't know if I know exactly the right way to handle this situation uh, in practice. But Christ identified with us totally. Like, you think, like, your life is full of suffering and shame and sorrow and pain and agony, and it very well might be. In fact, 
Like if we were to be honest, like fully transparently honest, and if you were to tell the deepest hurt in your life, currently or in your past, and I was to give this time right now to you, and I put a microphone up here, and one by one I let you come up and share that part in your life that was most painful, right? It would break every person's heart to hear the pain in this room. I have no doubt that you've suffered. Some of you more than, 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 than I can even appreciate inside of myself, but Christ suffered too. And so you can draw near to those who are broken, and his suffering accomplishes some of the work that needed to be done for salvation. He suffered for our salvation. He suffered so that you could be with him. Continuing on, verse 14, he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's beautiful, by the way. Right? He conquered death, and, 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 and through it conquered the devil, to set free those of us who live in constant fear of death. We know those people, right? Some of us are those people who are just fearful of death. And he says, I he's delivered them away from the power of death and lifelong slavery. For surely, verse 16 says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation uh, that means to, 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 to go and to make atonement for the sins, to cover our sins, uh, to make it right for our sins and the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this is where Athanasius landed on why Jesus had to become man. And he divided it up into two realms. He says, every time you choose to sin, you sin two times. You may not understand this, but you sin two distinct ways. The first way you sin is you sin directly against God. You are transgressing God's law. If you choose to steal, say you go to the grocery store, want a candy bar, take a candy bar. We don't do that, right? But our kids might have done that. Maybe once upon a time you did it when you were a kid, right? And so you take a candy bar because you want the candy bar. You say, now I've got this candy bar, okay? You've chosen to transgress God's holy, righteous law, and you have made an eternal crime against God. And you can't fix that because you... I mean, you can fix it. You are uh, eternal in some manner of speaking. I don't know, it's like a ray more than like a line uh, if you're geometrically inclined. Right? You have a start point. You don't have an end point in all time. And the way that we atone for our eternal crime against God is we spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's the way it works. Eternal crime against an eternal God leads to eternal punishment and eternal separation. That is why the doctrine of hell is so important. That's why it works. That's why it has to be there. Like, it'd be nice if there was a better way to do it. It'd be happier if there was a better way to do it. Catholics try to work around and be like, hey, you can like, make it right over the course of like, you know, several hundred years of purgatory, and then all of a sudden things are just going to turn on and you're going to get better. But guys, here's what. A couple hundred years of purgatory, and guess what? You still have an eternal crime against God that hasn't been fixed. You've still eternally wronged an eternal being. And that's just from stealing one candy bar. You are much worse than that. Man, y'all are wicked. I just look at y'all, I see the wickedness. Man, I see it. <laughs> I see it too, right? Anytime I look in the mirror, I'm like, whoo, man. It's here, guys. It's not just there. Sometimes I get in trouble for not identifying enough. I feel like I identify a lot. But guys, like, y'all are terrible. But, but me, I'm worse. I know it. Right? And, and so, like, I have all these eternal crimes. I can't fix them. 
The only way I can fix them is by eternity in hell, which is, by the way, not agreeable to me. Like, I, 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 I do not like that option. Right? And then the second way you sin, when you choose to sin, the second way is not just an eternal sin. It's a temporary sin, like when you steal the candy bar. Right? You, you, you just robbed Walmart. Right? Some faceless corporation, right? But you robbed them. Some, some, you've actually wronged a person in the process. There's got to be atonement on a personal level between people. And so Christ is the only one who fits both of those measures. He's a person who can give personal atonement for personal problems. And he's eternal because he's God in the flesh. And he can pay for your eternal problems. Your eternal sins can be paid through the blood and death of Jesus Christ. And so in the person of Jesus Christ, our sins are doubly paid. And we don't owe the debt anymore. It's why he can be the great high priest who goes in to make atonement for us. And it works. Right? In, the, in the Hebrews uh, days, back the Jews, they would go and they would bring um, you know, lamb upon lamb and ox upon ox and bird upon bird, daily offering sacrifices for the mundane sins. And then once a year they would offer a major sacrifice to kind of cover the, the totality of the sins. But you know, as soon as that, uh, that, that animal was sacrificed, as soon as the scapegoat was let out of the camp, the sins began to pile up again. But Jesus paid for them forever. That's why he came in the flesh. Because without him coming in the flesh, no sin of yours could ever be righteously covered. He identifies with you. You can identify with him. And then he can pay the price that you would have to pay through eternity. He paid by conquering death in himself. Jesus gives life to those who would believe. That is what we have to hold fast to. Don't get distracted by everything else out there in the world that tries to point you in other places. The simple gospel is you need Jesus because without Jesus, you're paying your own way and you don't want to pay that. You don't. You don't want to pay it because it costs everything forever. And Jesus has already made a way for you. What a beautiful thing that Christ did to die on the cross for our sins. And if this is true, which it is, what is your responsibility? It goes all the way back to the beginning of the passage. Hold fast to the gospel. Don't get distracted. Don't add on to it. Don't pollute it. Don't corrupt it. Don't put your hopes on other things too. It's not the gospel plus, you know, whatever. You want to hold it. Gospel plus my job. Gospel plus my charitable giving, gospel, plus, you know, my Sunday school attendance, gospel, plus what church I belong to, gospel, plus taking communion at the right time. It's never anything else. It's simply just the gospel. Amen. Hold to that. Don't hold to everything else. Look, do I think that you should come to church? Yes, obviously. I think it benefits you. I think it helps your spiritual walk. I think you get challenged by the Word. I think you meet people who are walking the same path as you, who can encourage you along the way, because it's hard being faithful in a vacuum. But guys, don't, don't think that your church attendance magically fixes the problems that are in your life. The only fix to your problem. The only solution to your problems found in the face of Jesus Christ. And you must confess your sins and believe on Jesus to be saved. Anything else is sinking sand. Anything else you put your hope in is shifting 
and will not work. And it's not hard to do, right? Right? The Bible, blah, 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 gives like, you know, if you can believe in your heart that, that, that Christ raised from the dead, if you confess your mouth to Jesus the Lord, then you'll be saved, right? It's, it's, it's a beautifully simple thing that God does through the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people to repentance, to turn away from their old sin, and to new life in front of you. And as the Holy Spirit calls you to do that, you must respond to that. And not wage war against it, not fight against it. But surrender yourself to what it is and then hold fast to that forever. And then when you hear people polluting it, corrupting it, distracting from it, right, don't, don't, don't fall in with them. Hold fast to the gospel. Because in that is the power of Jesus Christ. Anything else is weak. And it will pass away. But Jesus came as a man so that he could pay the sins that you don't want to pay for and that you really can't totally pay for. And he gives you a way to have eternal life through belief. Faith in Jesus. What a beautiful thing. Faith. Trusting in what Christ did. I want to pray. And we're going to have an invitation. You can have an opportunity to, to come and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. Or you want to come and join a church that's trying, and that's all I can promise, is trying to lead people to walk closer to Jesus. We, we, we want people to walk with us. Maybe you just need prayer. I'm here to pray for you. Because I love to pray for my church. It's an honor to do so. Whatever you need, we're having an invitation. You can come and talk to me. You can stay in your seat if you need to do business with God. Enjoy it. Do business with God. Don't let this moment pass away and say, I'll take care of that tomorrow. Let's do business right now. Let me pray.